This is Live Well Talk on Stroke Care in the ER. I'm Dr. Dustin Arnold, Chief Medical Officer at St. Luke's Hospital, Unity Point Health. When it comes to stroke, time is essential. And today joining me is Dr. Ryan Sunderman, Medical Director of the Emergency Department. Uh, and he's going to discuss signs, symptoms, as well as the essential treatment and uh, of uh, treating an acute stroke and what the symptoms are and, and, and the, what may happen after you arrive at the emergency department. Now, Ryan, I know typically in the month of May, you celebrate National Vinegar Awareness Month. And this year, Stroke is uh, also Awareness Month is also mid-May. Are, are you going to celebrate both? I don't know if that was a typo or if that's just your eccentric knowledge of yeah. weird facts. I, I know but, how uh, much you enjoy vinegar. <laughs> and uh, so you're going to do both. Yeah, of course. Why not? All yeah, right, so good. maybe at my house. I don't know if we're going to celebrate vinegar here, but yeah. Yeah, yeah keep that. Let's keep that at home. I love yeah. that place. Well, first, let's start. What What is a stroke? Uh, there's several different types, types of stroke. Typically, when we refer to uh, the standard strokes, it's a blockage of a blood vessel, basically. Um, we could get into as many details as you want, but as you know, you know, there's like people have heard of like cholesterol and plaque and things like that. And those exist within your vessels. And typically one of those kind of flakes off and creates an injury inside the vessel and the, the body attempts to heal it. It creates a little clot and then that clot then blocks that blood vessel and, um, then the blood stops flowing. And then when the brain doesn't get blood through that vessel, it starts to die or get damaged. There's another type of stroke, which is when you uh, blood vessel breaks, and that's called a hemorrhagic stroke, and that's considerably less uh, than the number of those are fewer, um, but they are still considered a stroke. It's an injury to a vessel in a brain that causes poor blood flow to that area of brain and leading to its death. You know, sometimes when I'm asked that question, sometimes I say it's a heart attack of the brain. Yeah. You know, because I think sometimes people, people think heart attacks and strokes are the same thing. They yeah. But, but yeah. I mean, I think people understand a heart attack and a heart yeah. attack of the brain and, and time is, time is important. Mm-hmm. Um, now, now that we understand what a stroke is and the listeners, at least they have that concept. The next is to diagnose it. Mm-hmm. And for the general public, what there is an acronym, I correct, that mm-hmm. they can use to at least run through the symptoms maybe having and, and, uh, and uh, determine whether or not it could be a stroke. But as I know you say this and I say this, if you think it's a stroke, just come to the ER. Right. You know, don't don't try to second guess yourself. But what is that acronym? Um, so it started off with FAST, and FAST was something that was uh, developed for the public to use. You maybe even saw some of the billboards yeah, that used yeah. to be out, on, and the paramedics would sometimes use it. And that was just face, arm, and speech was like that were the big ones. And so if you had facial droop, if your arm wasn't working, or if your speech was slurred, or you couldn't talk, find words, et cetera, and then they change it to be fast, um, which is a little bit more in depth because, so for example, balance, um, you know, when people come in and say, so B, B stands for uh, balance eyes and then fast, the face, arm and speech. Um, the problem with balance is, is that uh, people come in and say they're dizzy and uh, that can mean a lot of things, yeah, off balance, yeah. lightheaded, you know, we always have to differentiate that. Um, but, you know, for the general public, if you feel like you have a new onset of dizziness, lightheadedness, something that is not you're not accustomed to, then those can be certainly can be signs of stroke, especially balance issues. And so those can sometimes be accompanied by like spinning or, um, you know, also lightheadedness. But if the balance is off in coordination, that kind of what it get, is what it gets to, because in the form of fast score that often get left, get, got left out. And um, again, without getting into a whole bunch of details a different part of the brain kind of controls your balance as opposed to what controls your face, arm, and speech. 
Um, and then eyes also, if you have vision loss, that can sometimes it can be a stroke can be just vision loss. Yeah, blind, There's yeah. a, a special word for that called amaurosis fugax, which we don't use very often, but I know you love your Latin. I so, do. yeah. So there's a, that was a term we don't use, but that's just sudden vision loss. And that can be the sign of a stroke as well. And so. also it can be sudden speech loss. Right. Absolutely. I saw a patient with uh, Dr. Barnett, the cardiothoracic surgeon, when I was yeah. a medical student. Yeah. So that's like the early 90s, right? Yeah. And it was a, a lady had a stroke. It was an embolic stroke, right, uh, from an atrial myxoma. And her deficit was she couldn't speak. Yeah. So she gets up around her house, and she lives by herself. And she's going all about her stuff. And then she goes to call her friend, and she realizes she can't speak. Yeah. Uh, so that's that was a very unusual presentation. Yeah. And, and, and I think that reinforces that strokes can be an unusual presentation. Absolutely. You know, um, and people should have a low threshold if they're having brain symptoms of any right. sort. They need to come and be seen. Yeah. You know, that's what I tell people. Uh, you wouldn't need me for, you know, the standard chest pain. Like if you're having chest pain and you can't breathe and you're sweaty, you could probably just walk up to the cath lab and get yeah, your cardiac yeah. cath. It's it's the weird things. It's the unexplained yeah. sweating. It's the nausea that you've never had before. It's the really weird left elbow pain, you know, things like that for heart attacks. But with strokes, they can be very sneaky, you know, the vision loss. And sometimes the vision loss, people just, they can still see straight ahead. They don't realize that it's actually kind of out in their periphery and that's why some more detailed testing just on physical exam is important because they can tell something's wrong they just can't put their finger on it but then when we come in and put them through an organized stroke screen um, we'll pick up some of those subtle details that um, you know and once you point it out then they're like oh yeah that's it and then you can really uh, pick it up and and then that's when you got to get them to the care that they need so well speaking of getting them to the care they need we mentioned that time is essential mm -hmm. or of the essence right uh, at the beginning of the opening so how much time, talk about the time factor here. Yeah, so obviously every minute counts. I mean, the clock really is ticking as a general rule. Um, so I'll start off by saying, um, you know, the time that we figure is when it starts is your last known well. So unfortunately, people wake up a lot of times with stroke-like symptoms. And so their last known well is when they went to bed. Um, so, um, that's why it's important. Like if you wake up in the middle of the night and you feel like something could be going, going on, don't go back to bed hoping it's gone by morning because that's just more time, you know? So if you really feel like things, something's going on, come in. But, um, ideally we get people in here within three hours because most of the research that's been done that looks at the use of some of the medicines we use to break up the little clot that blocks an artery in stroke, um, the evidence that is out there really best supports that that medicine to break up that clot is given within the first three hours. They've stretched it out to about four and a half hours, and so we'll still do it in cases. But once you get to about four and a half hours, there's not a lot of great evidence to support giving any kind of um, medicine to um, reverse the effects of that stroke. Um, so that's 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 kind of the time frame. But I don't want people to say, you know, oh, I'm going to wait around 90 minutes because I know I got three hours because that damage is being done. So every second counts. And, so. and also there's each case is unique. Yeah. And, you know, I know in your career, I certainly I've given it at six hours, depending on yeah. what the situation is. You right. Know, and you know that the the risk is starting to out. Yeah. Out uh, uh, weigh the benefit at yeah. some juncture there. But because now when, when you talk about medicines for the listeners, that that's a, a clot busting drug that dissolves clots. Mm -hmm. And not only does it dissolve clots in the brain, it dissolves it head to toe. Right. And so there is the risk of bleeding. Yep. Uh, and there's there's criteria that you follow, evidence-based criteria to give that. But one question I want to ask for myself, is age still a contraindication? Or um, so that's the at thing. One, at one time, it used to be really hard and fast. Like, okay, yeah, 85. 70, yeah, yeah they're 72. Nope. Nope. Yeah. But now, you know, they every case is unique, like you said. But anymore, 
um, you know, that the thing is, is there seems to be a lot of benefit, especially with like heart attacks, for example, like cardiac cath. It used to be, oh, if they're over 80, we're not going to take them to do a cardiac cath. And now we, we've learned that those patients actually benefit most from it, you know. And so um, the uh, I think every every case is unique, but uh, there's really not a lot of age limit, except we have to really um, on the stroke scale. There is something I think it's 85, right, that says and that, uh, you know, it's, it's not an absolute contraindication. Um, so there's a lot of discussions that have to go on with the family uh, about what they are willing to take on. Um, you know, I think uh, I believe the number is still six percent risk of bleeding for any time you administer TPA. But if you've had um, other bleeding risks, like if you've had a recent gastrointestinal bleed, if you've had recent surgeries, things like that, um, those are all important to take into consideration prior to giving the medication. I'll say my clinical experience, I find patients uh, will take the they would rather take the risk of having bleeding and, and yep. dying yep. than having a stroke and be left with a deficit. Yeah. They don't want to be a burden on their family. And they're like, yep. yeah, let's do this. Uh, now, the patient's right at the ER, you suspect is a stroke. How do you confirm that? So confirmation is actually um, kind of relative. So the thing is, is that a lot of times when people come in they and we do the CT, that's the most important thing is we get the CT scan. And so people are assuming that we're confirming there's a stroke on that CT scan. And what the general public may not realize is what we're really doing with that CT scan is confirming that they don't have a bleed, uh, because if you've been if you've bled into your brain, you definitely can't get something that bleed makes you bleed more. So if you've had a hemorrhagic stroke, that's an absolute contraindication to getting TPA, obviously. Um, and so that's the biggest thing. However, with some, and I don't know if you're going to get into this maybe a little bit later, but like with some of the newer CT scans, we can do what's called the perfusion scan that fills the vessels with some dye, or they call it contrast. And that helps us get a better idea of how large the stroke might be. Um, but as far as um, now, I I familiar with that yeah uh, technique. But I'm not. I haven't looked at a lot of them, and I know you have. Are they? Is it pretty definitive? I mean, um, it, when it when it's definitive, it's definitive. Okay. The problem is when it's not. It's, it's like not, a nuclear medicine so, test. Yeah. Like when it's definitive, it's obvious. It's obvious, right? So the thing is, is that when we get the regular CT scan, most of the time it's not going to show much of anything. Sometimes in a big vessel, they can actually see a large clot or hemorrhage or something within that actual vessel. Um, and so, and that's, and that person needs to get intervention immediately. Um, but then they can also do some of these perfusion scans. Um, and what they do is they look at um, the actual area of infarct, which is the area of like true damage. And then they look at the area around it that might have a little bit of blood supply coming from some vessels surrounding it. And they look at the ratio of that true infarct to the area around it called a penumbra. And they look at that ratio. And that ratio helps them determine um, the, the total size, but then also the ratio. Because if you have a, a small uh, area of infarct, but then a lot of area that's being damaged but isn't dead yet, that's an area that's amenable to um, further treatment. And so that's why it's important to get in here because that's what's salvageable at that point. And so that will show up on these perfusion scans that we do now. I would say the more the confirmation is actually an MRI that would, they would do the following day. But um, really, it's we're doing those initial scans to help um, know whether or not this person is eligible for TPA. And then it's based off their sign. So if they don't have a bleed and everything else about it says stroke, then they are gonna then they're eligible for TPA. So it's more okay. the, the exclusion of the hemorrhagic stroke and the confirmation based on your physical exam. And it didn't. Once the diagnosis is made, then they come to the hospital medicine service with the neurologist. Mm -hmm. uh, 
do most strokes end up in rehab or do they, do, how do most people do Yeah, that? you know, I mean, I guess unless they turn quickly around. So, and that's the other thing about TPA, the studies that showed its benefit are actually people kind of assume you give this TPA and the next day you wake up and you're like, tons better because you get the TPA. Actually, the evidence that they, that they collected from that looked at 30 day outcomes. So people, if they get better in the next 24 hours, they assume that's the TPA. Well, it could just be that your body broke it up yeah, itself. Yeah. And most of the evidence would suggest if you get better in 24 hours, you probably would have gotten better anyway. A lot of it looks at functional outcomes at 30 days from the TPA, and th those are better if you give the TPA. Um, but that is, you know, so you don't just wait around to see if you're going to get better from the TPA. You need to be doing everything to make sure that if you have ongoing symptoms, that you're, the, the brain is fairly plastic and it has some ability to kind of restructure itself and, uh, and um, uh, kind of make new connections and you can, you can retrain the brain. Um, and uh, that's a lot of the therapy that goes into play. So whether it's speech therapy, um, functioning with vision loss, uh, functioning with a balance problem and learning what you got to do. And um, some of it's safety issues. Some of it's swallowing, for example. You know, it's one of the first things that we do in the emergency department uh, before we give you that's any right. medications yeah. is a swallow yep, study to make right. sure you're not choking on things because yep. that can be very subtle and that can lead to like unforeseen problems. You get a pneumonia because yeah. you had a stroke. People don't think of that. And so um, a lot of the therapy begins right there. And physical therapy isn't jumping jacks and push-ups. It's, you know, things like balance and um, a walking with a walker and, you know, stuff like that. So, yeah, you know, it's, this is, this is just kind of a observation. I, I used to say that people don't die from the stroke. They die from the pneumonia, yeah. the uh, GI bleed. Hip fractures. The, the yeah. Same you thing. know, they yeah. die. Yeah. Hip fractures. They yeah. die from the complication. Yeah. Not necessarily that. Now, one thing that I've observed, and you you maybe have seen this in the ER, but okay, so you get in, you have a, let's say your right side's paralyzed, mm -hmm. get the TPA and it gets better. Mm -hmm. And you're like, awesome. Yeah. So I make rounds in the morning, it's better. Yeah. Well, then the nurse comes in and you the patient demonstrates the nurse it's better. Then therapy comes in, demonstrates it. So by late afternoon, those muscles are fatigued mm -hmm. and the patient's like, oh, my, my stroke came back. My new you weakness. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. So that, yeah, I always try to educate people on that when we first put them in the hospital that you may see that happen yeah um and then it's not as such a shock when yeah. it's uh, and, you know the next morning it's back to where it was so um well prevention is the key to everything mm -hmm. um and we can do a whole other podcast on how we miss the opportunity to prevent things quite often in healthcare but what what, what are some of the risk factors and those risk factors that can be modified for yeah. A stroke. Well, smoking, smoking, smoking. Those are their one, two, and three. I mean, absolutely do everything you can to quit smoking. Uh, just as a side, kind of my strategy, if anybody needs a strategy for quit smoking, um, the first and 15th, quit. People need to practice quitting smoking. Don't do it the first of the year every year when people tend to. And like, ah, I started smoking again. Quit as often as you can, you know. So twice a month, quit smoking, go as long as you can. So, you know, it's one day, two days. Don't get, don't, don't get discouraged. If you start smoking again, Two weeks later, you do it again. So you know, you know what what I used to do to patients. So you smoke, let's say, a pack a day, twenty cigarettes. Yeah, I say, okay, you smoke twenty for three days, then you smoke nineteen for three. Taper days. down, yeah. Then you smoke. So even if you like are getting ready to go to bed and you're supposed to smoke seven, but you only smoke five, yeah. you got to sit there and just drag them and just till it's done. <laughs> you got to yeah, make yeah, them hate yeah, it. Yeah, so yeah. It, so it gets the point yeah. that you get it. I'm getting this medicine, this yeah. drug I'm addicted to out of my brain. Those are definitely, and I think any, it's all trial and error, you know, because there's no one, if there was one proven system yeah, that worked, yeah, it'd yeah. be out there and that's what everybody yeah. would do. So yeah, like that's, that's a great way to do it. Um, and, you know, I tell people, 
quit smoking, change the way you drive to work because people are very habitual about yeah. their habits. They go to the drive the same way. They take the same walk. They have their coffee. Change up your whole pattern during that day. You know, take a different route to work. So you got to be paying attention to road signs and things like that. Hopefully not looking at your phone, but um, and uh, then do the, you know, the chew the, the Nicorette gum and the lollipops, chew on pencils, suck on lollipops, all that stuff. Go as long as you can. If you start smoking again, don't be discouraged. Just do it again over and over and over and over again. And over half half the people that try that method will will succeed uh, in smoking cessation in about nine months, I think. so. I, and I would say that, like, if you're trying to lose weight and you're adjusting your diet, right, and you fall off of it, you have yeah. the cake. And then you say, well, I fell off it today. I'm just yeah. going to eat the rest of the day. You know, I would say, okay, if you drop your cell phone, do you jump up and down on it? Yeah. Or do you pick it up? <laughs> yeah, you know? right, right. And uh, so, you know, just yeah. – stay yeah. with it you don't know, beat you, yourself up yes, yeah absolutely yeah because nobody's perfect it's well, hard smoking no, no smoking yep um diet and exercise obviously those are big ones you know there's a genetic component to it you know if everybody's seen like you know george burns he smoked cigars his whole life and he lived to be 103 nobody knows who george burns is anymore but um there's those guys that like live lived a lifestyle that was not conducive to you know stroke health and things like that um, and then there's the 40 year old guy who runs, you know, six miles every day and he has a stroke just because he was born that way. Right. So you can't get away from your genetics. You can get genetically screened for it. But the things that are easy are, you know, you don't smoke, you eat right, try and avoid like saturated fats and all that. And actually carbohydrates, I know carbohydrates are the new fat, right? You know, so there's a there's a lot of evidence that suggests especially processed sugars are uh, very inflammatory. And the thing about plaques that rupture as, that cause heart attack and stroke because the, the mechanism is the same. That little cholesterol shell inside a blood vessel has got what they call them spongy macrophages. And all it is is a bunch of um, really inflammatory cells that make that that plaque uh, amenable, like it, it ruptures and it, and it flakes off. And when that does, that's what creates the injury inside the vessel. So you got to stabilize that plaque. And so one of the best things you can do and the simplest things is limiting your sugars because they found that um, com- or simple sugars create this inflammatory, uh, like from insulin and things like that. And by cutting your sugars, it helps stabilize that plaque. But then also things that stabilize plaques are like statins, for example. Not only, and the thing about statins, as you probably know more than I do, is that statins aren't just normally like uh, they don't just lower your cholesterol, but they're actually anti-inflammatory. And so that anti-inflammatory component is a big deal. So if your doctor says that you should take a statin and you can, you don't have any side effects because there are some people that statins don't work for them. Um for one reason or another, but if you can be on a statin, those statins are critical to, to prevention. And that's one of our, I think our, yeah. our inpatient goals is making yeah. sure we get them out yeah. of here on a statin. I don't do inpatient medicine, but, um, and then exercise, you know, and so prevention either before or after a stroke, um, get, you know, talking with your doctor and make sure you're cleared and it's safe for you to be in a program, but then doing that regular exercise, which not only is like weight control and things like that, but it's actually anti-inflammatory. Um, but it also, when you exercise, you cause your heart rate to go up, your heart rate beats harder. And what it does is it creates more flexion. So if you normally just walk around and your heart beats, your vessels kind of pulse, just like you can check your pulse. When you exercise, you, you know, your heart beats harder and that actually creates more and that stimulates elasticity or stretch of your vessels. And so it makes your vessels actually healthier simply by exercising. And so there's a lot of benefits to um, exercise other than simply like weight loss and calorie restriction, you know, things like that. So, uh, yeah, smoking, uh, good diet, um, and exercise are critical. Yeah. I I always use the analogy of a unloaded revolver. That's your family history. Yeah. Then you start putting smoking, high blood pressure, diabetes, Mm -hmm. high cholesterol. Yeah. Now, now you have a loaded gun. that's very dangerous. Yeah. So we want to keep that proverbial gun unloaded. I love your analogies. Yeah, I know. (laughs) Full of them. I am full of them. I'm full of something. (laughs) That's for sure. Yeah. Uh, 
Ryan, this has been great information. Yeah. Once again, this is Dr. Ryan Sunderman uh, talking to us about strokes and uh, preparing to celebrate uh, National Vinegar Month yep. as well as National Stroke Awareness Month. I'm not of May. I'm not sour on Vinegar Month. <laughs> again, uh, this is Dr. Ryan Sunderman, St. Luke's uh, Emergency Room Medical Director. For more information on stroke care or any other medical topics, visit unipoint.org. Thank you for listening to Live Well Talk On. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe. And if you want to spread the word, please give us a five-star review and tell your family, friends, neighbors, strangers about our podcast. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Pandora, or wherever you get your podcast. Until next time, be well.